Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Robbins, and welcome to Life, Death, and the Space Between podcast. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist in medium, and here we explore life, death, consciousness, and what it all means. Today, I have Mona Sobani on the show. Mona is a PhD in cognitive neuroscience, an author, and entrepreneur. A former research scientist at the University of Southern California, she holds a doctorate in neuroscience from the University of Southern California and completed her postdoctoral fellowship at Vanderbilt with the MacArthur Foundation Law and Neuroscience Project. She is the author of Proof of Spiritual Phenomenon, a neuroscientist discovery of the ineffable mysteries of the universe. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, Vox, and other media outlets. She currently lives in LA. Welcome, Mona. Thank you so much for having me. I could really, really use your help. If you haven't had a chance yet to listen to my season five opener, go back and listen to that. But in the event that you don't, I need your support. If you've been listening to me for a while, or even if you just started, you can go to Patreon and put in Dr. Amy Robbins. And there you can find different levels in which you can support the podcast financially. At this point, I have no ads. I have no sponsors. I am solely self-funding this podcast. And it would really, really help me out if you've gotten something out of this podcast, if you could donate $5, $10, or even $20 a month just to help me out, to help support the podcast. I'm continuing to work to try to get sponsors, to try to get advertisers. But until that happens, I need your help. And there are other ways to support the podcast. In addition to Patreon, you can like the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast. You can rate and review the podcast. I always love reading your reviews. They're really heartwarming to me. And it's the emotional currency that I get from providing you with this resource. So please, please take a moment to just 
help me out here. You can also find the links in this episode, in the episode notes, as well as on my website at dramyrobbins.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Amy Robbins. So you've had a quite an interesting journey to being going from a materialist to post-materialist. So can you tell us one, what that means? And two, a little bit about your journey in terms of why you found yourself so compelled to research the, the actual proof of spiritual phenomena? Yeah, sure. So I started off you know, once you go through scientific training, as you mentioned, my PhD is in cognitive neuroscience. So very traditional route. And when you go through the kind of scientific training that I did, you, no matter where you begin, and I've spoken to a lot of my colleagues, so it was true for a lot of us, no matter what you come in with, you know, you might have a, not a super religious background, but you might, you might be spiritual, you might be curious, whatever. By the time you leave, and usually PhD programs are quite long, like mine took six years. Mm-hmm. So by the time you leave, Dave, it really is kind of an indoctrination. I don't mean it in a negative way. I just mean it is what it is. But you come to fully adopt the worldview, which for which is scientific materialism. That's what you know m- mainstream science believes and follows, which is basically that the world is made of matter and it's physical and we can measure it, and that there's there's no other substance or there's nothing else behind it. Like everything that you can, that we can sense with our senses and that's physical that we can measure. That's what makes up the world. And that's what you, you know, come to believe. I mean, they they don't even, nobody even ever tells you this is the worldview and these are the assumptions. It's just embedded invisibly in the background. And I, I think before that, when I was in college and I was younger, I was more attuned to the universe and kind of interested in these crazy coincidences that I would have happened. Like I found a journal where I was keeping track of these really weird coincidences that my roommates and I were having. So I was kind of plugged in in that way. But by the time and curious, like, oh, what is the universe? You know, how are we all related? But once you start going through the training, you it's not that you lose the awe and wonder, but you just become very scientific minded of like, what can we measure? What's correlated to what? If we can't measure it, it doesn't matter. So you kind of buy into that. So I, I was, that's where I started from. And, and I had no reason to change that view because a lot of the people around me subscribe to it. I mean, the main mainstream journalism, you know, kind of is just in Western culture. That's what people believe. And, you know, when you try to bring up anything spiritual or paranormal, you'll find it, you'll find the resistance. Right. So, Mm -hmm. but for me, what happened was I hit an existential crisis in my life, you know, thought, thought I should be happy, but I wasn't. There were a series of events. I talk about it in the book. I won't go into all of it, but there were just a few things that happened. But what made me kind of step back and look at my beliefs was my, I'm Persian and in our cultural heritage, we have a tradition of what's called divination, which is, you can use any medium. It could be tarot cards. It could be, but in my family's case, it was coffee grounds. So you'd have this like thicker kind of coffee. It's like Turkish, Armenian, Greek coffee. You leave the grounds in the cup, flip the cup, it dries, it makes pictures. And then you have someone who's intuitive, read it. And my grandmother used to do this and my mother learned it from her. And people were always trying to get readings from my mom. Like they thought she was so good. And I never even paid attention to this. I wasn't even on my, cause it's just in the background of your family. I didn't even notice, but my mom started reading for me when I was in college, not like, you know, it was, it was just a bonding thing. We would have coffee and then she would 
just pick up the cup and start reading it. And I just noticed that <laughs> she was more right than she was wrong. And a lot of what she said would come true ahead of like, she would say something months in advance. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, and it, it wouldn't resonate. And I, but I started writing these down, you know, I started taking copious notes so that I could keep track and look. And yeah, months later, what she said would come true. And they would be things that I wouldn't be expecting that you, that there, she couldn't even know about like things at work, you know, she, she would be like, is there someone at work like with this description? And then I would say yes. And she'd be like, okay, I think this person is, let's say going to bring you an opportunity or something like that. And I'd be like, mm, you know, like very unlikely that we would work together, but then lo and behold, a few months later it would happen. So it was, it was, and it wasn't like I was seriously trying to investigate it. It just happened. So anyway, we hit this time in my life when a, a few big emotional events happened and my mom, you know, had foreseen like most parts of each of them. And, but since they were sort of bigger things, they weren't like, you're going to lose some money or it was like big mm -hmm. emotional things. Like one of them was a death. Yeah. Someone. I was going to say, because yeah. I read the book, one of them was that, I think that was the one that really yeah, caught that your really attention really got my attention mm -hmm. because, and like I said, emotional things, a neuroscientist, I know emotional things get your attention. Those are the things that convince you or change you a lot because they're the ones that shake you to your core. But that's what it was. It was, it was a death that she had foreseen. And that really tripped me up because I thought, oh my God, like you can see death too. Like, what does that mean? That information is out there in the universe ahead of time. Does that mean it was planned this way. And so I started to think about fate and destiny, which I had never done before, just because your mind naturally goes there. <laughs> she predicts someone said like, oh, was it destined that he would die? Or is it just that it a series of events led to this? And for some reason, you have access to the information ahead of time, you know, and I, I just started fumbling with it. And I think it kind of just shook my foundation and I thought about it, but it took another, you know, another event. It took a few more events, I think. I didn't write about all of them in the book, but it took a few events for this to really start to destabilize me and me to start asking questions of like, what is the nature of the universe? And what do we have wrong in science? Like, how could this be possible? Or am I creating meaning and, you know, confirmation bias going back in time. But I mean, I didn't think so because I'd been tracking these for 10 years and I was very careful. But so that's how it kind of started. And I didn't think anyone had done research on these topics. I had no reason <laughs> to think because they definitely don't talk about it in graduate school. I've never come across it in any of my 10 plus years of, you know, schooling. And I was like, oh, no one's ever studied this. Like, this is not believed to be true. So I didn't think there was science. I didn't go to look for science. I just started trying to experience it more. So I would talk to my friends about it and be like, you know, have you ever been to a psychic? And then they were like, yeah, we know some really good psychics. And then we would go to them and kind of just, which is obviously not a scientific experiment. Mm -hmm. But it's, I was just trying to experience, you know, trying to see what's what's going on. And then that led me to, and actually I wasn't even going to do anything with it. Again, I was just trying to understand it for myself. But they, when I would, we went to, my friends and I went to get readings and we would swap readings and see if it was, if one reading was true for someone else. And we, we found that they were very specific to each of us, which again, you can't publish in a peer reviewed journal, but when you're experiencing it, you're like, this is really, really weird. Cause they would say things like, oh, you have a niece or something. And like, I don't have a niece, but my friend does. So, you know, things like that. Mm -hmm. And we, so we did that for a while. And then the, the intuitive started mentioning spirituality. So they would talk about karma and reincarnation. And I didn't even know what those words meant. I just ignored it until later. Then I heard 
I wasn't listening to anything spiritual at all at this point. I, but I randomly heard Chelsea Handler's podcast and she had a, a psychic medium on Laurel and Jackson. And she started talking about the spiritual framework. And then she also ta started talking about just how she perceives things. And as a neuroscientist, I was interested in that. And then she mentioned a research center that she had allowed them to study her, mm -hmm. her abilities. And so then suddenly I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> people have studied this, you know? So, so did, did you go on this quest as sort of a research scientist to try to prove in the same way you would if it was in a lab? Or was no. this more of like a personal? Just, just a personal thing. No, at this point I was, I would have been horrified to tell anyone about it. My ego would have been too threatened. Um, mm -hmm. So this was, it was all secret. It was all me and my friends, or it was all personal. And it was just for me to understand the universe better, to be like, how can, I'm like, okay, these intuitives are saying things they couldn't possibly know about my life. So like my mother, so they might have access to information. So our understanding of information and time may not be correct. And then I'm like, but now they're telling me the spiritual framework. Is that, is that also true? And I really didn't believe at all. I was really like anti-spirituality and anti-religion. So I didn't believe, but I honestly was just curious. I was just started asking myself these questions. And if you are trained, like, you know, logically that's, you follow the logic. And I'm like, that's where my logic would go is, okay, this is like, let's say you can prove that what they're seeing is true and they have access to that is what else. So then I just became curious and, and interviewed a bunch of them, did a bunch of reading and it led me down this path. But no, I was not trying to prove it scientifically. I would have gone about it in a totally different way, a more... Yeah, how how would you go about because I've 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 read and heard I was actually just listening to a podcast last week, I believe or a couple of weeks ago, it was Tim Ferriss and Roland Griffiths, who's a mm -hmm. researcher out of Johns Hopkins, who does a lot of psychedelic research. Mm -hmm. And they were both pretty adamant that they didn't believe that there was that that all of these experiences were true, that were real. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they said was that it's really difficult to conduct research in the space because of all the things you need to control for. And I'm just curious, how would you even think about beginning to conduct scientific research? I mean, I know a lot of this is more uh, qualitative versus quantitative. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Is it right. quantifiable? 
you know, what would that research look like? How yeah. would it be conducted? So there has been a lot of research conducted, which I was surprised to learn, but it's like over a hundred years of research from labs all over the world, from just so many different places. I mean, you're a clinical psychologist, right? And in neuroscience, we we worship William James and they've mm -hmm. kind of erased from his history that he was interested in paranormal phenomena. Like he went to seances, he wrote about the variety of spiritual experiences, one of his books, but he was really interested in you know, thinking about different views of consciousness and mm. our minds and our brains. And they've completely erased that. They never talk about that in mainstream. But if you go read any of his writings, it's all there. So there's oh, a very long... That's interesting. Yeah, there's a very long history of people like him and Carl Jung and not so much Freud, but I mm -hmm. think actually secretly Freud was a little bit interested in telepathy and some other things, but again... People try to hush hush it. Anyway, so there has been a lot of research on this. And that's why lab research is important because as I'm telling you this story about me going to an intuitive or a psychic, I mean, everyone is too stigmatized to take that seriously. There's too many, just like it was for me. Like, I'm like, oh, how did she deduct from what I'm wearing that this is true about my life, right? Or did she see me like, did I unconsciously nod and did she pick up on it? There's too mm -hmm. much of that. So, you know, you can never use a psychic intuitive reading for scientific research. So in the lab, what they do, and again, Ryan, there's so many institutes, the Ryan Research Center, the Winbridge Research Center, the Institute for Noetic Sciences. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of centers who have done this research for over a hundred years. And they set up these very carefully controlled experiments where you can have some set, like, let's say, five cards, like from Ghostbusters, like you have five shapes, a star, a square, an asterisk, whatever. And you have the person try to predict what the next card is that's going to be presented is. And you have the cards randomly selected, you know, by a computer. And then, you know, the statistics of it, you're like, okay, if we have four cards, you know, they should get it correct 25% of the time. And then you just do a bunch of trials of this. And if statistically it's above chance, they can guess the correct card, then you have proof of something. And that's what they've found with these studies is above chance level. It won't be like super high, although for some people it is. And that's the other thing is like the, just like with any human trait, it varies mm -hmm. widely, mm -hmm. but then they'll score above chance. And they've actually shown not only in, in guessing, but they've shown it with physiology as well. Like you can, we use sweating, basically it's called skin conductance is the technical term, but it's basically sweating. And they found that too. Like they find sweating responses in advance of a picture that they don't know is coming, but that startles them. And so that's indicating that the body somehow is possibly above chance anyway. It's, our statistics could be wrong, but that means that we have to change all the rest of our research too. <laughs> so that's like the paradox of this, of psi phenomena is like when people read the results and there's a lot of results, there's so much research that there's, there's been meta-analyses, there's been reviews, which in science means they put all the evidence together and we'll look at it as a whole and say, is there an effect here? And you know, there's been enough over the years that there is, it's a small effect, which makes sense because we're not walking around like X-Men, like people aren't walking around with strong powers. It's a mm -hmm. small effect, but it's there and it's above chance. So either our, our stats are wrong or there's something there. But the only reason that people, the scientific community dismisses it is because it doesn't fit scientific materialism, which is the worldview we, we described earlier. But if you step 
back from that, which I think science should do and understand that scientific materialism is just one worldview, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of other worldviews that say, well, maybe consciousness is the foundation of reality, not matter. Maybe there's some sort of energy mm-hmm. that even underlies matter, you know, and everyday physics is coming out with new findings suggesting this. And there's a whole group. I mean, there's a neuroscientist, Don Hoffman at Irvine, who is basically now he he's done a computational experiment saying we don't view reality as it is. You know, we view what we need only as a species to survive. And so Mm. he's like, so people need to stop, you know, making the argument that what we're seeing is reality because it's actually not even the case. So, and there's I have several questions. Wait, hang on. I want to say because I have like 25 questions from what you just said. Okay. First of all, what is psi phenomenon? So can we Hmm. go back to that? Oh, sorry. No, that's That's, okay. That's what they call it in the research, but psychic phenomena. It's paranormal, parapsychological research. They call it side out, PSI. Okay. So they've, they, meaning people who do research, Mm -hmm. have, have looked at, all the studies that have been done on psychic phenomenon in some way and done a meta-analysis. And, and from that, they've determined that the, the chance that these things happen is above, is, is above chance. It's above 50-50. Yeah. Is it statistically significant? Like, is it, so it's statistically yes. significant enough that it says there must be something more to this than just chance. Yes. Okay. So there, and there's a review, um, well, we won't, we won't get into all that. Yeah. There's a review that was published in 2018 in the American Psychological Association Journal. I think I could send it to you. You could link to it if you want, but that it's a review of all of the meta-analyses that have been done. So just like if there's been a thousand experiments there, a meta-analysis looks at those thousand experiments and let's say there's been five meta-analyses of different experiments and then a review steps back one level up and says okay let's look at the meta-analyses so it's like multiple levels of let's put the evidence together what does it say mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah yeah and we're still saying not possible <laughs> yeah so yeah like it's funny because I I linked to it on Twitter the other like last week and yeah some archaeologists which I was like I try not to be condescending anymore but I'm like I have done behavioral research in the laboratory with subjects like I know this research inside and out and he was like oh this this review is confirmation bias or something and I was like I was like it's not I'm 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 sorry I'm trained and it's not. It's not. If 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 that review was confirmation bias, then all reviews are confirmed. It's it's like they're just ridiculous arguments. If you and if you want to attack it, you have to attack the rest of our research too. Unfortunately, you mean you mean all the scientific materialism research? If you're going to yeah. attack the post materialism research, yeah, because the um, and I'm not trying to defend it because I don't even do that. I don't do sci research. I don't. I have no interest in doing it. I feel like there's been enough done, but. I'm, there's always something more to explore, but if but they use the, a lot of the similar methods that we use in our lab. And so, for just an example, a Cornell professor, Daryl Bem, was an established you know psychology professor at Cornell, and he did a series of these experiments, and they showed positive results. And he published them in a normal psychology journal. I can't remember what year it was, 2014, maybe, and it rocked. The psychology world because they like this guy used normal psychological research methods you know ones that i've used too in neuroscience he used the same statistical methods and so it was a big 
upset in psychology because they're like, wow, either our stats or our methods are wrong, which could be the case because psychology research, you can't replicate studies. We could talk about, I could talk about this forever, but it'll be a very long discussion <laughs> or yeah. Or the phenomena is real. Or maybe there's a third thing they have to consider, but it did cause all this debate. But And people went back to scrutinize and find something wrong with the studies, which you can always do with any study. And But the point is, we don't look with that careful, that level of scrutiny at any other research. So mm -hmm. if you, yes, you can find something wrong with that, but guaranteed you could find a lot of things wrong with other research that's not as highly scrutinized. Mm -hmm. So it's not really... It's not really fair to do that. Yeah, but. I was always I I've, I went to University of Michigan for undergrad, and we have a they have a huge psych department there where they conduct a lot of research, and the research was always as part of like freshman psych one hundred and one, you had to agree to be in five lab mm -hmm. labs, and I I not in the moment, but certainly afterwards, I wondered like. How are you using that research to extrapolate to a general population when mm, yeah. the research is motivated? You're motivated. You have to do it, right? It's a requirement. Right. And the sample is like first-year psych students. Like how? Yeah. So I think I think to your point, like how are we really looking at, again, this is not a, not, I haven't dug into this at all. I'm just saying like, as you're thinking, as one is thinking about these things, yeah. It does give you pause for any research, but certainly why why throw all of this all of this side research under the bus? What do you right. think? It, what do you think it would mean to incorporate this research, this way of thinking, this worldview, as you say, into into our lives and into science? Yeah, well. The, they write about this a lot. And again, I'm not like a super expert in it, but my view is it, it really indicates that we are more connected than we think we are. So like if you take the scientific materialist worldview, the physical worldview, we're very separate from each other, right? Even though we talk about metaphorically, we're all interconnected. People usually, when they say that, they just mean we're interconnected in terms of systems level connections, right? But I think I think that when you look at things like this, they've done experiments also of communication between people. These so this they like to put two people in electromagnetically shielded rooms, then they'll have one at random times try to send thoughts to another person, and they'll have them choose like ran, like out of five pictures randomly choose, okay, this is a sailboat, send it to that person, the thought of a sailboat. And then again, above chance, the per the, the show that person, here's five pictures, which one do you think the person was sending you? They'll choose the sailboat, again, above chance levels. So it, it indicates that we're much more connected to each other in terms of energy and thoughts than we're aware of, which for science has huge implications for the way we do human subject research you now, like how, what, how, what energy you bring to the experiment, how does that affect the people you're interacting with? And a lot of this research has also looked at intention and they find that the intention that you, cause that's kind of how like you have to have the intention, let's say to send the thought of the sailboat, or you have to intend something. And so we would all have to be much more careful of the intentions that we bring to our interactions mm -hmm. and especially for science, you know, what does that, what does that mean? And I think, yeah, I think for obviously physical sciences, there's a lot of there, like a lot of areas for expansion, if this is true, right? There's- Got him. What could that mean for healing or not healing? You know, I mean, 
there's so many different ways that this could go just in terms of, of, and I wonder too, like, why, why is it seen as a negative? Like this could expand so right. much in terms just thinking about healing. And, you know, I always go back to Jill Bolte Taylor. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know her work at all. She was the I one. Who had, yeah. She was yeah. the woman who had the stroke and kind of watched it. And I'll never forget. It resonated with me so strongly when she said she, one of the doctors, she, they came into the room and she couldn't understand what they were saying, but she could sense their energy Yes, and how negative that energy was when they came Mm -hmm. into her space. And just thinking about the implications of that, it's like so widespread. And it seems like it, it would almost make people need to be more responsible for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, and that's that's one of the things, I mean, that I became aware of as I was reading this research. It's funny you say that I'm remembering the moment when I was reading this research and I was just like, damn, I didn't know this this research existed and this looks pretty, you know, legit. I mean, as legit as the other research I've read and I've done myself. I'm like, so what does this mean? And I'm like, I should be more careful. <laughs> Mm-hmm. my energy. I was like, I should, I should really be more careful. <laughs> because I'm like, what if, you know, it is, I don't know, impacting, you know, I don't know. Like literally, I don't know Everything. what is it impacting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So it's, yeah. And I think that, I think that, that also, and that's the surface level. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes in the spirituality, like I, I'm not that familiar with it, but I'm more familiar now because I have friends that are more spiritual and they'll be like, talk about the law of attraction and stuff. And I, and I get it. I get that's why they say that. Right. But I guess I can see the leap in logic, but for me, I think it's, it's more like, it's actually a chance to look at our psychology, right. And our, our neuroscience and our childhood trauma and all the things like if you're, if you're not in a good place looking at, you can't just say, I need to have, I need to be in a better mood. I need to have better intentions. Like sometimes Mm -hmm. your past experiences make it difficult for you to do that. But then now that's your opportunity to be like, okay, well, what what can I look at? What can I rewire? Mm -hmm. What can I change? Because I want to move forward with, you know, good energy. So I think that that's, I think that's one invitation that I see that, Mm -hmm. and I, I took that. (laughs) I started, you know, trying to dig into my, my own healing. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's how I think of it too. When, when people talk about like change your vibration or raise your vibration, you know, you can't do that without doing a lot of the deep inner work that needs to be done in order to shift these patterns and then shift how you feel about yourself in relation to the world. Yeah, I think so too. And, and like, yeah, you could shift your energy superficially, but like you're saying to get that deep you know, deep shift. It takes, it takes a little more. Mm -hmm. What can you define consciousness from the neuroscience perspective versus a spiritual or quantum perspective? That's a tough one. Well, neuroscience views consciousness as, you know, it's the, uh, our ability to be aware of the fact that we're aware. And so it's like, we're, we're, we think unique, species on earth and maybe the universe from a scientific materialist perspective, because not only are we aware in our moment, you know, and able to respond to our environments to take in sensory information and to respond, but we have another layer on top of it that we are aware that we're aware. 
And so that's, that's how I think scientific materialism defines it. The spiritual aspect, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I think it's similar, but I think that they actually, I really don't know how to answer that from which spiritual aspect, but I, I guess I'll say, I think that that thing that we were just talking about earlier of how we're connected to each other, mm. I think that they believe that that is part of I know that some schools, I'm not going to name any because I, I don't know what they are anyway, but believe that consciousness is possibly the foundation of our reality instead of matter. And so if it was matter, we're all separate. But if consciousness is some type of energy, let's say, and it runs through everything, then that could be what's connecting us to each other. And maybe it's, I've actually been reading some last week, some papers in science, peer-reviewed scientific journals that are starting to propose different models for consciousness of how like our biological systems quantumly interacting with some sort of field is what causes consciousness to arise. So these are new th theories that are coming out because there are models of neuroscience thinks consciousness. One model is you have these cells they're working together, you know, obviously your neurons, they're all working together. Somehow consciousness arises from the brain. And that means, and what that means is your subjective experience. So like, what is having ice cream taste like to me? Or when I'm watching a movie and I feel, you know, all these emotions, but I'm feeling them and it means something to me, right? Like it ties back to my life experience in some way. That's all part of subjective experience and consciousness. And we don't know how that arises from a, a physical cell or even from physical cells working together. Mm -hmm. We don't know how you go from there to subjective experience and consciousness. There's a huge gap. It's called the hard problem of consciousness and neuroscience has no explanation for it. So, so there's all these new theories being proposed of like, well, maybe there's subject this experience, this like us, like being able to have a color feel like something to you or mean something to you, meaning like this might be embedded in the universe in some way, like in a field mm -hmm. or as the foundation. And that's how we're able to tap into it. Not that it arises from oh. our biology, but that we can tap into it and experience it through our biology. Because it has, it, it already exists in this external field. Right. And we then can tap into the energy of that experience. Right, exactly. Those are wow. some theories. <laughs> yeah, being proposed. Is that, is that the quantum field theory that you talk about in the book? That was one of them. So okay. in that paper, that was one that someone proposed that there's a field, a field of consciousness, and it has two aspects. One is, you know, physical, like we, we might be able to measure it somehow. And one is phenomenal, which is what I was talking about. Phenomenal is your experience of something that no one else can ever understand, right? Like can nobody can ever understand your experience. And that's, we call it phenomenal. So I think in that paper, he suggested that the field just has a quality of phenomenal experience and our brains interact with this field through frequency, he like has a whole model for it. And when it lines up with the field in some particular way, it can kind of like download that experience. That was the one I put in the book, but I just read another one too that suggested it, the field may not even have phenomenal qualities and may not even have consciousness per se, but something about the field interacting with our biology creates consciousness. So there's a few different 
models. Wow. Yeah. Being proposed. So if something outside the field creates. So it's sort of like the concept of which comes first, the chicken or the egg, I guess, right. in some way, right? Like that yeah. the it's really the collaboration of the two. Like if a tree falls in a forest, you really hear it. If there's and, no one there to is that right. kind of Yeah, and it's difficult because we don't know. These are all like I said, once you leave the worldview, like, like you abandon scientific materialism and you're like, okay, maybe physical matter isn't the foundation. And now you're like, anything could be consciousness as an energy could be. It's all theory, but we can begin to test some of these theories. So as these models are coming out in papers, there are suggestions for how to test it. So, you know, we'll see. It's all just starting. But uh, yeah, but I think there's a lot of creativity, I guess I would say, happening. With, and as soon because you, you kind of have to step, the first step is stepping out of the box that you put yourself in, which in my head is, in a lot of people's heads is scientific materialism, thinking that we have to be able to measure it. We don't. Like, And the other thing is you don't have mm. to be able to measure the field, for example. You can measure the effects of the field, which could be our interaction with it. So I think it's starting to change. Well, <laughs> I think it's starting to change a little bit, but it's exciting. There's, yeah, a lot of different ways I can go with it. Do you think that quantum physics will eventually prove psychic phenomenon or past lives or um, life after death? I think that, so some of these, actually all of the models, I've been reading involve quantum phenomena like quantum biology. So mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a combination of neuroscience, quantum physics, and cosmology. I think that where we're going, will they ever be able to prove? I mean, it's hard to prove anything. I mean, honestly, in science, we try to, even though the name of my book is Proof of Spiritual Phenomena, which was publisher's choice, by the way, we never use the word proof. We never use proof. And you can never prove something doesn't exist, right? We always, in science, you can't prove something doesn't exist. We never try to do that. But you know, we talk in likelihood. So I, I mean, I think we can get closer. I think that this is, the, this is my problem. I can just talk from my perspective. When I started reading about all these phenomena and I would roll my eyes at past lives and stuff like that, it's because of the because it's like, first I'm sitting in my scientific materialist box of physicalism. And I'm thinking, how on earth could I leave this body and go into another one and live multiple lives? It doesn't make any sense in that mm -hmm. framework. So, and I get that. But once you um, start reading physics and philosophy and all these other things, then you suddenly realize, oh, well, if the matter, I mean, if the foundation of reality is not matter. And let's say it is just energy. Well, energy is never created or destroyed, you know, and maybe there are a lot of diff different frequencies of energy. Maybe each person is a specific frequency and that frequency lives on forever in the universe. And as we're seeing these new models come out, I'm like, maybe your frequency is just out there all the time. And once in a while it interacts with biology and you zap in. So I don't know, it, it doesn't become, it's not as crazy when you start removing the narrative and take yourself out of, you know, physicalism and take yourself out of the box and start thinking about it in different ways. I think it's possible. And I, I don't know if we can ever prove anything. I mean, everything in science 
that we've discovered, they're all really theories. We never really prove anything. And we're always looking for evidence forever to <laughs> confirm the theories. And a lot of times we have to end up changing them. So, mm -hmm. you know, I love the way you just explained it though. That to me is, is like a perfect way of describing exactly what I feel like could be potentially happening. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it takes a lot of mind bending. <laughs> what, are your, what are your colleagues say now that this book has come out? And what are you do? What are you currently doing? Are you so still I, doing research? No, I left. I, I left USC. I, I don't even like doing research. I never did. <laughs> Honestly, it's so boring to me, but somebody has to do it. Right. No, I, I work with two friends and we do, we have our own company. I started my own consulting company where I'll work with companies on building neuroscience models or doing literature reviews for them. But I also have another company with two friends and we do, we do, we build apps and web development and we do consulting work. So I'm, and I write a newsletter on altered states of consciousness and psychedelics. And I also write for IONS for Institute for Noic Sciences once in a while. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So you got, you got out of the research. Yes. Oh yes, definitely. Because yeah, it's, 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 yeah, it's boring. And I think it would have been harder to stay in the academic environment and release this book, but you know, it's fine. I, so to answer your other question, my, I interviewed a lot of my colleagues for the book and I've had ongoing conversations with them. I really feel like, I mean, th these may just be the ones I'm in touch with, but they're all evolving with me. I'm one of those annoying people that when I learn something, I tell everyone. <laughs> me too. That's how yeah. I am too. <laughs> yeah, I'm just like, <laughs> you have to read this. You have to listen to me while I'm excited. And so I've kind of taken a lot of them on this journey with me. And it's been a joy to watch them open their minds. I'm not saying that they're all on board a hundred percent and you can never, that shouldn't happen anyway, right? Everyone has right. to go at their own right. pace, but they're, they've definitely opened their minds and have, have they come along for the ride. They're, they're all exploring different aspects of it. So it's been fun. Oh, well, and, and I go ahead. Oh, sorry. And I just wanted to say, I found a whole community of other scientists interested in this. And I'm, my friend and I went to the Society for Neuroscience conference and we had a spirituality and neuroscience social. And we said like, have you ever had an experience you couldn't explain through science, you, you know, comes, it, whether you classify it as spiritual or not, come talk with us. And I thought no one would come, you know, and 50 people came and they were students, postdocs, faculty members. A lot of them knew the research, the psi phenomena research. So a lot of them knew the reincarnation research from University of Virginia. Mm -hmm. A lot of them knew the psychedelics research and how it is similar to mystical experiences. Like, And they all wanted to talk about it. So we made a group and we're launching, we're I, we launched a website this week, or I think it was last week, with a bunch of references because they wanted reading. They're like, we want to read. We don't know. You know, some of them didn't know what, any of this stuff. So, yeah. So we have a group. So I think a lot of people are, and I've spoken to a lot of them individually, and they're just like, I've had these experiences my whole life. I've had no one to talk about it with. I've been scared to mention it. You know, we never talk about this in science. Why don't we talk about it? And so now they're excited to have other people who listen to them and are not judging them, you know? I and love that you're opening this up because I have a similar experience with people coming to me who have had experience that want to integrate it more into their clinical work or 
Yes. You know, whatever, whatever sort of medical healthcare field they're in. So it does seem like it, this is so hopeful for me because it really seems like people, their consciousness, right. whether it's yeah. <laughs> from a neuroscientific take or a spiritual take, yeah. is evolving in that way. And maybe yeah. collectively our consciousness is consciousness is evolving. Yeah. I could, and, and it is because it is scary to come out. It's against the grain, right? I mean, there is a lot of stigma. There are going to be people who don't agree because they haven't stepped out of the box yet. <laughs> but mm. I think it's also it like on the one hand, it's fine to think about those people. But as I've been interacting with these other scientists who just want an ear, right? Someone to lend an ear to their experiences. I'm like, those people are important too. And their experiences are important and we shouldn't be discounting them mm -hmm. and telling them that they're crazy. It just, right. it doesn't serve humanity, but it also doesn't serve science. Mm -hmm. So, well, Mona, if people want to learn about your work, where can they go? And what's this new website that I would love to direct people to as yes. well? Cause I think that they would really benefit from the resources that you have. Yes. There. I, so my website is Mona Sabani PhD.com and my newsletter link is there and my book links are there. I have not yet linked the new website, but I will. The new website is exploringconsciousness.org. Mm. And you can, if you're, a, we're trying to keep it to scientists right now, but if you're, if you are a scientist and you want to join, if you want to join, we, we can add you to our Google group and our mailing list. We, we're only going to send newsletters once a month to highlight like, you know, podcast episodes or papers that we find useful, but we are going to put this enormous list of references that is still growing up on the website by category. So you can look at psychedelics, spiritual experiences, psi phenomena, whatever. That's awesome. Well, Mona, thank you so much for your time today. This was a great conversation and I think will help continue to validate certainly my listeners experience in terms of the potential science behind behind what what they experience. So thank you. I'm so glad. Thank you for having me. It was a Absolutely. great conversation. Thanks. Like what you heard today and want to hear more? Wondering what comes next and what it all means? Head over to Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts and hit subscribe. Also, if you could take a minute to rate and review my podcast, I would really appreciate it. Stay tuned as we continue to explore life, death, and the space between. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.